after an extended period of time on what I'm guessing is your favorite podcast about Syracuse sports, the Cusism Syracuse Sports Podcast. That is, my name's Jesse Cook. He's Chilakasi Adeli, and, well, we've got a lot to talk about now. I know we should start off every show that way. But, you know, we, we haven't seen you for a few weeks. So, men's basketball, let's stay away from women's basketball, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse, etc. So, Chile, men's basketball, they go out there, no Jesse Edwards to the broken wrist against BC. They dominate. 20-point win, 76-56. You got Buddy Bayheim and Cole Swider both going for 18 points. But Jimmy Bayheim might be the bigger story with his double-double. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, really good performance from Jimmy Bayheim with a double-double. And I think this Syracuse team, of course, I think it's a long shot for them to make March Madness at this point. But, I mean, it's just about playing sound basketball down the stretch of this season, you know. And they're going to have a little bit of a test over the next uh, couple of days going forward because not only do they have to face uh, Georgia Tech, who admittedly is a bit down from they were last year, where they were last year, but players like Jose Alvarado and whatnot. But then they have to face Notre Dame, who has been one of the, I think, more surprising teams in the ACC over the course of this season. So, of course, uh, good performances all around from Syracuse on Saturday, but uh, I've got to see more going forward, you know. I've got to see contribution from everybody coming along. Well, Who's everybody? Is it Jim Beheim needs to use the bench more, or is it just the starting five needs to share the ball? I mean, I think Jim Beheim needs to go start using his bench more, but also when you're out there, you know, the bench has to go and, and produce. There have been instances this season where you have bench players coming off for some of them sometimes significant amounts of time and doing literally nothing when it comes to scoring, when it comes to contributing to the orange offense. So, that is important, but, you know, Beheim, Jim Beheim can only coach it so well. You just have to be able to go out there and execute. Now, of course, the jury's up as to whether he is doing a, a good job of coaching so well, right? But you do have to be able to execute that at the end of the day, and you've got to be able to help your team out. So when do we see Shane Feldman, Patty Casey? When, we, when do we see them pulling their weight? Well, I'm not sure – that we want to go that deep into the bench. Yeah, baby. But uh, I, I will say I was at the game yesterday. Patty Casey, uh, once he had that N1 opportunity, yeah, everybody went wild for that high new game against Boston College yesterday. Great stuff to see there. Yeah, I mean, 20-point win is a 20-point win. So the road ahead... Last four games of the season, likely the toughest uh, that they've seen in a while. So, we've got games like UNC. We're seeing games like Miami and Notre Dame. But the big one, Saturday night, from the Carrier Dome, Syracuse and the Duke Blue Devils. We'll both be there. Yeah, hopefully I'll be there. I'm not sure yet, but I've got... You got a ticket. Coverage and stuff. I got. I have my ticket, so uh, I, I'm either going to be going there or I'm probably selling it to somebody. But it is a. It's it's down to the wire now for this team, and I think that the schedule they're about to embark on this week, playing two games after already playing on Saturday, that's going to be like what four games in the seven day stretch for the Syracuse team. I think that could possibly prepare them, just getting in the groove a little bit and possibly provide the grounds for an upset come Saturday, you know? Yes, Duke is, what, the number nine team in the country right now. I think they're an okay team. I think Syracuse, when they went down to Cameron Indoor and faced the Blue Devils, they the Orange losing the way they did was more a product of them playing very sloppy basketball rather than just getting soundly beat by a better team. If they clean that up, and like I said, you've got the opportunity to perfect your game. You beat Boston College yesterday. Uh, you go ahead. You've got Virginia Tech. Uh, excuse me. You've got uh, um, Georgia Tech tomorrow, and then you've got Notre Dame later in the week. Notre Dame will be that good building block to build your way on to an, 
a team like Duke, of course, with how how good, surprisingly good they've been this season. Granted, in a subpar subpar ACC, it's about building up for that, and I think this team has a chance to start playing cleaner, sounder basketball as they go into Saturday, and that could provide the grounds for an upset. But this is Duke we're talking about. I mean, Syracuse needs to bring a way lot more, not just against Duke. Notre Dame, for one. Notre Dame is leagues better than the Orange. The Irish this season haven't been their best, but that's still better than what Jim Boeheim's squad has been able to put forth. How do they fare on Wednesday night? In South Bend. You know, I think this is a game that Syracuse should come out on top with. Um, they've, they've played better as of late. They've still had their defensive lapses, offensive lapses at times. But I think when we've seen this team play their best over the course of the season, they are sound offensively, but they're also sound defensively. And... There are little things that don't happen. Like, any team needs to win a basketball game, right? When it comes to things like turnovers, when it comes to things like just making sure you have everything sound, I think those are the things that can propel the orange against a team like Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a decent team. I think part of it, like I said, is that the ACC has been subpar this year. But granted, Syracuse can beat this team. Notre Dame is not a top team in the country. They're not even ranked in the top 25. You know, this team is beatable. Duke is a little bit more of a mountain to climb. But that being said, when Syracuse went on the road to go face the Blue Devils, they beat themselves up. Duke did not soundly crush this team. By like, What was the margin back then? A lot. Uh, 20, 20. It was a 20-point margin. Duke did not go and beat this team soundly Syracuse beat themselves up yeah that's the thing Syracuse doesn't need Duke to beat them they they beat themselves so what happens when Syracuse doesn't beat themselves well you still got a monster in the Blue Devils right there ready to crush them but the thing is I think it's a little bit different when you're going to be playing three games or two games but right before that opportunity yeah especially and when you've got a coach who doesn't play the bench your starters are going to be dead tired they're going to be walking in walking in knowing they're about to get slapped but you don't think that there's you don't think that there's an opportunity to be said something to be said about gaining a rhythm going into a big game like that. I think possibly, personally, that will be the case come Saturday. Now you can gain whatever rhythm you want, but a, a saxophone player is still out of breath if you have him hold a note for sixteen bars. I also think Jim Beheim's going to have to start using his bench more, and I well, think he will. He has so because of Jesse Edwards being injured. You know, yes. you've got Barama Sidibe sharing the load with Frank Anselm. And Barama, no points last time, but he, I, I like the, the, the effort he's put. But that's, that's also part of the thing I'm talking about, right? The bench has got to step up. I think the thing with Jim Beheim that we see with him as a coach is that he really he, he goes to who he trusts, right? And he trusts his starters, obviously. Every coach trusts their starters. But eh, does Jim Beheim really trust his starters, or does he just distrust the bench. I think that's. That I much. think by default he has to because his bench just has not been able for long stretches of this season to come up with points. Having to trust someone is not the same thing as trusting someone. You, you forced into that role. He he doesn't trust them. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. He trusts Buddy, and for whatever reason, he trusts Joe. I'm not sure. Can you trust Cole Swider? Can you trust Jimmy Bayheim? I think as of late, I think as of late, you can trust Cole Swider. Certainly, he's too flaky. He'll as of late, he has good games. Even Joe Girard, you can yeah. trust lately. What he scored double digits in his past six now, after putting up a bunch of single digit performances. He's getting it done when he needs to get it done, or he's just inconsistent. He's getting it done when he needs to get it done. Well, then he, ne- he needed six, to get it done earlier. Six games of double digits in a row is not incons- it's not inconsistent. Yeah, but when it comes after several single-digit performances, he needed to turn it on then. Well, he's he done it now. It. He needed to get it done then. Well, he's done it now. Well, Syracuse wouldn't be in this predicament if he got it done earlier in the season. Well, I mean, Syracuse wouldn't be in this predicament if the whole entire team didn't get us into this predicament from day one. So if the team weren't bad... Yeah, that's what you're saying. So they're bad. They're not going to beat Duke. 
They're a bad team with bad players. Did you see, what was it? Auburn lost the other day to what? Florida? After they lost to, I mean, Georgia. Georgia, the record doesn't show it, but they're a decent team. Auburn lost to Florida the other day. Yeah, this is not college football. Even college football, upsets happen. But in college football, basically the ranking kind of tells you your destiny. College basketball is a different animal. Especially, listen, this game, last game they played, Syracuse lost by 20. Like I said, they beat themselves up. That was at Cameron Indoor Stadium. This game is going to be in the Dome, okay? And if there's anything we know about subpar Syracuse teams over the course of this season is that the Dome atmosphere can change things a little bit. And I think that will be a big factor in the game come Saturday. You know Otto's Army is going to bring it, you know. That's fair. You know the fans are going to show up. You know the Central New York community is going to show up. You know that's going to change the dynamic a little bit come Saturday. I got to say, though, if Duke gets out to a nice 20-point run to start the game, that's going to silence what should be a raucous, rowdy crowd. Do you think that's really going to happen? Yes. I don't think it's going to happen to start the game. Something like it, though. Julia, I think you're forgetting what we've missed the past couple of weeks is Syracuse basketball is not very good. They keep trouncing mediocre teams. I'll give you the Wake Forest one, but it's a bunch of fake wins. But we've also seen this team show flashes against good teams. Flashes, yeah, but their light still Maybe not Duke. Dies. Maybe not Duke, but Villanova? They got crushed by Villanova. Weren't they up after the first half? <laughs> and they fell apart. But that's what I'm saying. The- flashes. Flashes. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you fl- the Atlanta Falcons flashed a 28-3 lead and then blew it. If you blow a lead, it doesn't matter. What yeah, but they were a good team because they made it to the Super Bowl in the first place. Yeah, okay, that's fair. However, have you considered that Syracuse, again, is bad? These flashes... Yeah, any any team can have flashes. A team that wins one game in a long season. Oh, they had a flash. They won a game. Well, Syracuse, you lead at the half. It doesn't matter what happens at the end of the half. Good flash is all you need. This is basketball. It, it clearly isn't. This they is had 40. Such a bad season. But you're judging the season. I'm telling you about the possibility of winning this game. Uh, you guys can't see my facial expression, but it, it, it's uh, exasperated. Listen. I'm talking to a Philadelphia brick wall over here. This team has the opportunity to beat Duke on Saturday. Yes, they have the opportunity. And now, yes, they will be on the it, same. Is course. it is it going to be? Is it going to be? Is it going to be a blowout? Yes, a Syracuse blowout. No. Um, is it going to be a game where Syracuse controls the whole entire time? No. But listen, rivalry games by and large bring out the best in people, and I think with the home crowd. It's going to be a little bit of different dynamic for Jim Beheim and Syracuse. You know, the players are going to come out energized. The players are going to come out wanting to play a crisp, sound game. And because of that, you just don't know what can happen. So I don't think you can just simply write off the team and say they're going to lose just because, oh, Duke is good. Duke is number nine. You know, I think you've got to look at the holistic picture and realize that there are some things outside of how the players play or how the players have been playing the whole season, that can affect the outcome of a game. Crowd noise can affect the way Duke handles itself. Now, they, the Cameron crazies know how to do it, so is it that much of a deterrent? No. But that being said, especially with a young team like Duke, a lot of them haven't... A lot of them, yeah, I'm talking about players who've been around the ACC. You know, Paolo Bencaro has a... And seeing everything for a long time you know some of them have not stepped into a college basketball atmosphere or any basketball atmosphere with 30 40,000 people in it i think you're forgetting one major factor though which is like i actually know you're not forgetting you said the cameron crazies they're used to a big crowd they're used to a raucous crowd not that not the one they're about to see on saturday i don't know look not the one they're about to see on saturday I've seen Carrier Dome. You know they're not, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same at the beginning of the game. It's not the same during breaks. However, once Duke gets that upper hand, it dies. The 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 crowd desperately needs so-called flashes from Syracuse to show any excitement after Syracuse goes down by any significant margin. Okay. 
And I think that's what's going to happen. Duke, all they need to do is take control once. But what's your definition of control? Is uh, it five points? Is it ten points? Three-score game. Three-score game. That's not really control. Yeah, but against this if they're up, if they're team, up, that's it. If they're up nine, that's nothing. On the Syracuse Orange? If they're up season. 18, if they're up double that, okay, maybe I can understand that. Nine-point game is nothing. Uh, against Syracuse, it is. This season, they've been no. incredibly no. incapable. No. I'm not believing that. Call me a pessimist, then. I think you are a pessimist. And as proven wrong numerous times during football season, and I think... As a, you have been proven wrong numerous times also during football season. Not as much as you. Well, don't forget basketball season last year. Yeah. You were wrong. Several times. What did I say? A lot. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm right. You were, the one, you were the one saying... You were the one saying we were going to get flamed by Liberty and look what happened. No, I said no one would show up to Liberty. Yeah, you were wrong on both fronts. That's true. Exactly. I may be dumb, but I'm not an idiot. That literally makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. <sighs> Neither do you. I mean, that's also true. You know what is making sense, though? Syracuse men's lacrosse. Yes. First of all, Gary Gate, number of retirement today. Roy Simmons, the, uh, Roy Simmons Jr. gets inducted into the Ring of Honor. A couple of great moments. And then the Maryland game. Honestly, a four-goal loss to Maryland in that competitive game, it that's not bad. I mean, you knew it was coming, right? I mean, of course, you see a top team, the top team in the country, like Maryland versus a team like Syracuse coming in at number nine, and you knew you know that the game was going to be close and competitive, and it was, you know. But there's, like I said, there's a reason the rankings are the way they are. Syracuse ends up falling to the Terrapins, but uh, then again, this is this is a team I don't think they were necessarily projected to go win it all this year i think it's a team that still has a little bit of like foam to the top you know in terms of like being able to rise over the next couple years Uh, everybody came in with really high expectations and gary gate being uh named switching from the women to go coach the men's team now but like i said it's a process you know and we're not too far removed from the very weird, bizarre season that was last year with the infamous ending of John Desco's career and Chase Scanlon being arrested and so many different things that affected this team that it's they're there. They're still one of the top teams in the country, but there's just a little bit more to go before they, they, they start to be able to pull off, routinely pull off upsets like this or just straight up become one of the better teams, top two, three teams in the country going forward. Well, they're, they're such a young team. Like, in the opener against Holy Cross, seven different players scored their first collegiate goal. One of them, Mikey Berkman, who's been around for a couple of years, but redshirting and, and such, scored his first hat trick, not, not, not to mention his first goal. And... The, the, really, the only thing staying consistent as to last season is their defensive setup, where four, three of their four starters from last year are still there. Everywhere else, it's largely new. I mean, yes, attacks Owen Siebold and Tucker Dordovic, except and Brent, Brent Gray, except for the fact that uh, Tucker Dordovic hasn't been an attack until this season, where he fills in for Owen Hilts after Owen Hilts goes down. So they're a young team. They're brand new by many respects including their head coach, Gary Gate, even though he's been in Syracuse for decades as the women's head coach where he took him to three national championship appearances uh, and as a player where he won the national championship in 1989. Is it just me? I, I, I mean, I've raised this with a couple of people. Is it just me who's just like, you just wish that Gary Gate would have gotten the job done with the women before he left to the men. I know, I know. yeah, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and take that job, but you would have liked to see him finish on top before leaving, you know? To go there three times, to not be able to, to put the cherry on top, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, I don't know how to feel about it. 
I mean, he's still in Syracuse, and he left it in capable hands with Taylor Trainer, someone he he trusts, and someone who has had success with Syracuse as a player and is a champion. I'm not even talking about who he leaves the team up to. It's just like you've built all of this over how many years? Fourteen. You almost reach the pinnacle, and you fail. You know, like yeah, it's not a failure. I know, I know down the line, right, when money talks and when the opportunities come, like, it's a different scenario. But for me, just looking at it, at it as, a, as a fan, as somebody who, who looks at this team, and I, I don't cover it in depth, but it's just kind of like leaving all of that on the table, you know. The way I think about life is just weird. Maybe that's part of it, but that is just me. Well, you, you are a weird person. That, that's true. Yeah. But I don't think either of us would be here if we were both normal. So Yeah, that's true. Um, but the men I they've they've got they long story short, they've got some ways to do. They're close but still not there in terms of being able to, to I think compete for a national championship. But I think a team who is ready to compete right now are Kayla Trainer and the women's lacrosse team, they came into the season, what, third ranked in the country? And really, they should have been at least at the lowest, I think, second. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made it to the national championship. And it's not even like they're keeping the same team, because when they made it to the national championship, they were missing two of their top players, Emily Harris-Chuck and Megan Carney, and they're both back. Really, I don't understand why they're not higher. I know... Third place in the country, the third ranking in the country is still excellent. Let me tell you why. They're better. These people hate Syracuse. Why? I don't know. It also might be that there's no Ace of Goldstock, so there is the the goalkeeping question. That's true. That's not unique to Syracuse. That's a pretty uniform problem across college sports, and it shouldn't really detract from this team. I mean, look at the statement win today over number four Stony Brook. Four... Uh, fourth ranked Stony Brook, and that another program with as many variables as Syracuse, and they took them down. They gotta move up. You know that's the weird thing about lacrosse. You know, just the kind of teams that are like ranked. Like you'd never expect Stony Brook to be top five in any D one sport. You know. Like, or in anything. Look at the location. Where even is Stony Brook? I think Long Island? I think it's on Long That's Island. Horrible. Disgusting. I, I mean, it. I guess that makes sense as to why they're so good at lacrosse. And why they're so bad at being a school. But, like, it's just like... Who even goes to Stony Brook? I don't know. I have... Actually, I do know several people who go to Stony Brook. They're, they're all actually... Nice like, is John Topkins even D1 for all their sports? I don't think so. <laughs> but they had Dave Petromala. The new defensive coordinator of Syracuse Men's Lacrosse, the greatest defensive lacrosse player of all time. Like, it, it, it's just it's just wild. For me, somebody who who grew up in a place where lacrosse wasn't big, you know, now coming here where it's like, goodness gracious, it's the best thing your school does because football, eh. Men's basketball, eh. Women's basketball, eh. You know, it's wild. Wild to think about. But then again... I think Kayla Trainer, could you imagine if she were to just take this team to a national championship from the get-go? The kind of, the kind of, pre- I don't want to say precedent, but the kind of good that would do for the program going forward, you know, it would give so many people, not just players, but uh, pot- potential recruits, you know, confidence, you know, that. Sh- she is here to build this program out long term. And I think you can prove that to the Central New York community. Of course, SU Athletics most likely believes that. But, like, I think the recruiting thing is just a whole different story. What a statement that would be if she were to go and do it in her first year. I mean, also, how much better can the program really get? Like, you say what it would do for the program, but it's still going to be... Regardless, it's one of the top programs in the country. So it's not like it can go up from here. It can just stay this good. I think 
people might be nervous when they see the greatest men's lacrosse player of all time who was head coach depart for the men's team that maybe the prestige of the program would suffer a little bit. But if Kayla Trainer comes in and takes him right back to, say, even like the Elite Eight, that's still phenomenal. Right. That's still unbelievable. That's further than some of Gary Gates' seasons. Yeah. And I, I know they probably don't. And, really like, just that. think about that, right? If. Kayla Trainer can do something that Gary Gate wasn't able to do in 14 years as coach. Ring of Honor. Hang her number in the Louvre. Yeah. Well, I don't know about hang your number for being a coach, but Kayla Trainer, Ring of Honor. Yeah. She gets there from the get-go. Easily. Easily. Now I'm excited to watch that team. Honestly, like I I think a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about the men's team and i think they're rev which is why it makes sense yeah but like to the extent that i'm invested in lacrosse at all at this university i'm more invested in the women right now than i am the men well they're just so much better they've got so much more promise and yeah it's not to say the men's team isn't good and for me it was that way like, for me it was that way last year too like i spent my my memorial day weekend much to the chagrin of my father <laughs> and my uncle my african father and my african uncle watching <laughs> lacrosse watching syracuse women's lacrosse you know because they're a fun team to watch you know and for like, like again someone like me who's who's is is increasing the the amount of exposure they get to the sport by the day it, it, that's a fun team to watch and i'm really i'm really hoping that they come out on top this year and it'll be nice to see them progress as they go forward yeah well it's just remarkable to have the trio that they have in carney Harris Truck and Tyrell. So Megan Tyrell last season in 21 games leads the team in scoring with 68 goals. Second place, playing just 13 games as Megan Carney. Second on the team in scoring after playing eight fewer games. It just shows you how dominant she is. By the way, Emily Harris Truck not too far off from the Syracuse uh, career goals record. She could pass it this season. I think she needs. Uh, more than 50, but it could happen. Who's at the top? Is it? I believe it's Katie Rowan. Katie Rowan, who she just had her number 21 retired yes, today. she did, right next to Gary Gates 22. Yep. I mean, the the pace that, like, everything is just kind of getting put into the rafters this year. <laughs> John Wildhack's been moving. <laughs> well, it, it's for good reason. It's I mean, one, there have never been any Syracuse w- women's athletes recognized in that way, mm-hmm. which is a... 50-year-long wrong being righted. And then for a lot of the the other sports that are getting recognized, it, it you look at it and you, you wonder why it hadn't happened already. Like Gary Gate. Right. Not Almost not even arguably the greatest lacrosse player of all time. Like you think great lacrosse players, I mean, first of all, from Syracuse, two others, Oren Lyons and Jim Brown, pop into your head. But then there's, outside of it, A, Dave Petromala, B, there's Brody Merrill, uh, Paul Rabel. You have a whole slate of these great players to speak of, especially over the last 40 years. Gary Gates stands above him, so it's almost unbelievable to a certain extent that the number 22 wasn't saved. My question is, my question is, right? And I, I raised this question with people earlier today. It's, it's what happens, what happens when you run out of numbers? I've, I've and this is for it. this is for any there's sport. A, this is for any sport. Futurama, uh, I think it, where Leela, the 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 one eyed main character, she she starts pitching for the new New York Mets, and all their numbers are three fours and seven eights because over a thousand years they ran out of numbers. Like fractions are the future. By the time I'm old and crippled, right? The New York Yankees will probably be be close to running out of numbers at that time. Close. I mean, how many numbers? They don't have, what, what, 20 numbers retired now? I don't think they have any. After 100 years? I don't think they have any single-digit numbers left. No, they don't. Exactly. But that that's that's 10 numbers right there. There's there's 90 other ones. Sure, some of those have been retired. What, are people going to start wearing 100 now? That'd be awesome. No, I don't want to see that. But uh, Listen, I'm a traditionalist. I don't want to see that. And you're gonna learn my three. You're, you're gonna learn my three minute drill later that I'm, I'm I'm a traditionalist in that, and when it comes to sports and these kinds kinds of things. If you're a true traditionalist, then you'll go back to the days where not only did they not wear numbers, 
but players wore different colored shirts based on their position, not on their team. So the first baseman and the other first. I'm so a traditionalist from the point that I was born. I was a traditionalist from the point I was born. Baseman, red at no. third base. No. Pink. I want the catchers wearing pink. No. No. True traditionalist. All right. Get the X team baseball. What? Let's 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 roll out of that conversation a little <laughs> bit into. Uh, we've got a we've got like I said we talked about the Duke game the SU Duke game that's going to come down earlier, but um, we've also got the CHA tournament, you know, and uh, the Syracuse ice hockey team is gearing up for what is said to be a fantastic weekend. They come in as the number one seed in the CHA, heading into the tournament, regular season champions. This is the first time in a long time in which the, the team with the with the uh, best record in the regular season gets to host a tournament. They haven't done this in, in a while. Um, and it's going to be held at Tennedy come this weekend. And I'll be there covering it, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people coming from different places there. And I think Syracuse does have a real good chance of winning this one. Um, if you kind of look at the field, again, this is a five-team league. Syracuse will get a first-round bye on Thursday. Um, then they'll face the winner, I believe. Lindenwood and RIT play each other Thursday. That The winner of that game will, will go on to face Syracuse. So Syracuse at least should make it to the championship. Lindenwood's a subpar team. RIT, I believe, is still winless at, at this point, completing all their games in the regular season. So that just goes to show you the competition uh, in that in that semifinal. But then I think the teams that actually will pose a threat to Syracuse are Penn State and, of course, Mercyhurst. And if you've been following the teams a little bit, Mercyhurst <laughs> last weekend destroyed Syracuse 9 nothing uh, on the Friday. Syracuse did come back the next day and won uh, and win, excuse me. But it, Mercyhurst is a good team. Penn State is a good team. So you do have to be a little bit worried about that. But I still think Syracuse has the, the, the team, the power. And, and I think the depth is important, too, when it comes to talking about the team's chances of being able to win a game like this or win a championship like this. Here's what they need to, to do, plain and simple, going into this weekend. Good goaltending. They're going to get that. Even when they've lapsed defensively at times, Ariel DeSmet has always come out to save them. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago against Penn State, she had to combine, what, 99 saves in two games? You know, she's been making the stops for this team time after time after time again. And, of course, I mentioned the depth. Uh, you've got an offensive defenseman like Jessica DiGirolamo. You've got her defensive partner, Shelby Kaloff, very good on the back lines there. And then you've also got uh, good forwards, you know, not just people like Abby Belotny, who are seniors, but freshmen like Sarah Marshan. You know, this is a balanced team who's been getting more balanced by as the season goes on. And I think this is a team that, that should come away with the CHA championship. I agree. I don't see any reason why this team shouldn't win. We know firsthand that they're better than half the teams. I'd say Mercyhurst is probably their top competition. I know Penn State's right below them at number two. Yeah. But Syracuse handled Penn State. It was a pair of great games. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it was a very it was a very two defensive games, I'll say. You know, not a lot of scoring, obviously. Yeah. But we do know that Syracuse... At least, I'm not going to say is that right better, but they have the ability to beat Penn State. They have the ability to beat all these teams. Mercyhurst is the number one threat in my mind. I know, yeah, the nine goals is a little daunting. I don't think that's something that happens again. I, I think, think it's just anomalic, good. exactly. But because it did happen, even though it was on the road, that makes Mercyhurst the biggest threat to the Orange in my mind. Yeah. Um, Mercyhurst... I, I would have agreed that it was Penn State going into into that series, but no doubt at this point in time it is it is Sarah, excuse me, it is uh Mercyhurst because of how they've played how they played that first game. And like I said, Syracuse was able to bounce back the next day and and come out on top of the victory to solidify the CHA regular season title. 
And I think that makes their path so much easier. They're going to have most likely one challenging game. You know, if they win, as they should, and if they get to the championship, one challenging game is all they're going to have. And they've proven that they can get it done. Yeah, they've they've proven that they can get it done. I mean, this is the segment of the show where we just outright agree with each other, which I'm okay with. I I like that. It's it's way more civil. Will we agree with each other? Uh, on, on ice hockey, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you talk about what's coming up. Uh, uh yeah. I I'm fairly sure uh, we're we're gonna have some differing opinions. So traditionally, if you're new to the three minute drill which we're about to get into. Clay goes first. I He has a minute to talk about what he talks about. I get 30 seconds to talk about what he just talked about. Then I get a minute to talk about what I'm going to talk about, and he gets 30 seconds to respond to that. There's a little him talking, then me talking, then me talking, then him talking, and, and so forth. So I hope you enjoyed it if it's your first time. And if you if this is not your first time, I really actually hope you don't enjoy it because you've had, had it too good for too long. So, uh, and then. Which one of us is going first? You're Chillicothe at LA. I am. You go first. All right, time to go on the rant, folks. Um, All right, Chile, your time starts in three, two, one, now. So, yeah, uh, COVID. So, COVID, in the age of COVID, a lot of these players, college basketball players, uh, excuse me, coaches, NBA coaches, decided that they were just going to stop wearing suits and ties to games. And I think. It's just weird that they need to stop. Like, I I miss seeing Coach K with a nice suit. I miss seeing Jay Wright with a nice suit. Jay Wright's suits were part of his identity. So much so that Gus Johnson, basketball uh, play-by-player for Fox Sports, would call him GQJ, you know? This needs to stop. I don't know how long this is going to go on for, and some people will tell you that it's the new age and all this stuff, but coaches need to get back to wearing suits and ties. You guys are doing your job, and you guys should dress like you're there to do your job. So, Chile, well well put over that six, 60 seconds of time. But I think you're wrong. I don't think it matters. I mean, look at Greg Popovich. He's not even not wearing suits at the end of his tenure in San Antonio. Make Who em. cares? He's got five rings. He can make you do something. You don't have. No one's making Greg Popovich change. And he's got a gold medal to his name too. It doesn't matter. Let the coaches be comfortable. They're trying to make informed decisions. They're trying to be skillful. They're doing what coaches do. And why not let them be comfortable? And it's not like they're walking around in pajamas doing it. They're just walking around on on the court doing what they do best and conducting their teams. Before you know it, they're going to be walking around in pajamas. And I would respect them, even though I think that's a poor choice. No, I'd call them out for it. It's ridiculous. Well, something else that needs to be called out is what I'm about to address, and my time starts now. The MLB has gotten ridiculous with their current rule changes. And the one that really gets me is the universal DH. I hate it. Major League Baseball, what really makes them different as an organization from other sports leagues is that the American League and the National League are different. They're different bodies. They're meant to be different organizations to to a certain degree. Now, what does that entail? Well, first of all, you need to have some actual discernible difference. Otherwise, why not just make it the East and West? Why is there an American League and National League team? The Universal DH takes away a major part of the strategy of the game in the National League. So, yeah, you, there are some baseball people who say that, yeah, you don't want the pitchers to hurt their arms while they're batting. Well, who? Well, what, what the hell? They grew up this way. They've been fine to this point. Let the pitchers bat, and really, if they don't want to take the bat off their shoulder, then get someone else up there to pinch hit. It, the game loses a major facet of its strategy when you take away pitchers hitting in the lineup. So, I know my time's up, but I, I'm a very strong proponent of there being at least a difference between the two leagues. Pitchers need to be able to bat in the National League. That way, there's strategy, and there's an incentive or de-incentive for players to go to a certain league or division. You know, listen, am I 
and traditionalists for the most part, yes. Do I like the days of pitchers batting and seeing pitchers like Bartolo Colon going yam home runs over left field fences? Yeah, that's never happening again. Yes, but at the same time, I think that the players and the league agreed on this. You know, I think by and large, most fans aren't torn apart about it. They, they should be. There's some who care. There's some who don't care. But at the same time, I mean, it's, I'm just indifferent. You know, I don't think it is the worst thing they could have done to the game. It's close to it. You think so? I mean, look, there, first of all, no more Daniel Slamarena or anything like that. There's no more fun. They're becoming the no fun league. You're just going to have DHs lumbering up there. You're going to have batting. You're going to have benches that never see the field because what's the point? What's the point in bringing them out there in the National League? You see it all the time in the American League where these guys who ride the bench and even those diehard fans don't know their names. Now, I like the DH as a position, but I think there should be a difference. The American League and National League, what makes them different from the American Football Conference, National Football Conference, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, is that they have actual different rules. There's a difference. There's an incentive for some players to go to a certain division, go to a certain league. Now that's erased. Now everything's the same. Now it's all uniform. Now everyone has to abide by the same rules, and baseball is just taking another step towards being boring. It's all pandering to people who want to see big, either big home runs or big strikeouts, and there's no more strategy. By the way, bunting, gone. There's going to be so few bunting. I think, I think the thing you mentioned, though, about about um, uniformity, I mean, uniformity isn't necessarily a terrible thing, is it? No, but in certain aspects, yes, it is. You don't want everything to be I mean, obviously, uniform. obviously, your, your big argument is that is that players or pitchers not being able to bat kind of ruins the, the kind of uh, – it doesn't ruin anything integrity-wise or anything that, like that, but it kind of it ruins the fun factor of the game. That is your argument. But I think somebody can also make a strong argument, and I'm not the one making this. Somebody can make a strong argument that maybe it's it's better that the AL and the NL are now playing similar styles of baseball, whereas in past years they didn't, you know. And that all helps to how a team rises through the regular season and the playoffs, going into the playoffs. And in interleague play, depending on where you are, where you're not, you know, it can also have a, a, a big difference too, especially with more teams playing in interleague play because it's the way the leagues are moved after, after I think it was when they moved Houston into the AL from the NL and they this NL Central wasn't six teams anymore. That kind of switched around the scheduling and everything like that. It's not the days where the only times you saw an AL opponent, if you were an NL team, were one weekend in early summer, the All-Star game, if you played in it, and the World Series. I think it's just a different game now. And like I said, this wasn't something that the league necessarily all of a sudden pose this is something that people have been talking about for a while now not just the commissioner not just the higher ups in mlb but the players also as well so i think you know i'm indifferent to it but at the same time i think for now we just have to see how it happens and maybe one day they'll go and switch it back if they want to no, i think it's a long i think it's a long shot maybe it will happen but i i think you just got to watch it play out a little bit before you make your judgment on it. Now, now, here's an idea that I've had for a few years now, which I think could be an interesting tool to implement. Designated fielders. Say you've got a pitcher on your rotation who can hit really well. Say you've got Shohei Otani. <laughs> and somewhere on the field, you've got Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton, a lot of times, hits under 200. So what if... You have Billy Hamilton, or whoever it is, be your designated fielder. He's only there to play defense. Shohei Otani gets to hit in a spot, so you still have the pitcher hitting because he can, and you take away the poor bat of one of your fielders, and you get to keep him in the game as well. I'd be down. Yeah. I think it's just something different, you know? I think baseball kind of doesn't have 
I think that here's the thing with baseball, right? Is that, and I hate to phrase it like this, but they've got to do what's going to make them money at the end of the day, you know, or what they at least think is going to make them money. This lockout is not going to help them. Just like the lockout in 1994 didn't help them. And you know what they used to get out of it? At least partially. They allowed a bunch of players to essentially bulk up and take roids. You know, now it's kind of just playing with the rules a little bit and maybe becoming a little bit lax on celebrations and whatnot. And composed or compared to what everybody were a bunch of oh, big sticklers. Da, 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 da. But it's a little bit of a different scenario now. Uh, these these lockouts, to a certain degree, make me sick. I know the players want to protect their careers, and the owners have well, the owners, the owners are the owners. I but think I think this lockout millionaires arguing with billionaires. I think this lockout is a little bit different. You know, as much as we complain about it being yeah, billionaires versus millionaires, I think a lot of the guys are trying to stand up for the minor leaguers now, which some of them have been subjected to really poor conditions over the course of time. So I think that now, I think it may be a little bit warranted in terms of what they're trying to 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 fight for, for those, because a lot of them, of course, came up through the minor league system, and they knew how it was, and you hear some of these stories of people eating ice cream and hot dogs, you know, uh, professional athletes being paid, what, $7,000 a year, you know, like some of it is, some of it is not good at all. And we can have these debates as to whether it's good or whether it's bad. But, like, at the end of the day, you just kind of have to address the facts on the ground. And some of these facts are just that some of the conditions these minor leaguers in particular are living are just not sustainable for themselves or for any of, their, any of them who maybe have girlfriends, wives, kids, you know. You, you got into the game of baseball with the idea that you may be able to achieve some financial stability down the line. And if you're starting off, not even barely being able to get your feet above the ground, not just you, but your family. I mean, what are you doing with your life? I look, I, I agree with that, except for the fact that that's not what the players are arguing for. You look at all the reports, the players are arguing for things like how to uh, address expanding the playoffs. Uh, they're talking about a little bit of the luxury tax, just raising it, but they're not arguing for minor leaguers. They're arguing for themselves. The Players Association right now is the MLB Players Association arguing for the MLB, not the MILB. If that was more in the conversation, I'd be all in support, but it's just pettiness on both sides. Well, I think point. they were talking about it a lot earlier. I think it has shifted into some of those conversations, you say, and maybe that is a good sign that they're kind of that they're getting close to maybe being able to compromise on something. But like like you said, it's a lot of people just being petty and arguing with each other, and it's a lot of just like... But they're not arguing with each other. They're spending 15 minutes in the bait room and then walking out. And like, I think that the owners are off, are offering like unforgivable demands, but it's not like either side is willing to bend. It's I think it's equally to blame. I support the players more... But it's not like they're giving an edge on their on their part either. Look, I don't I really don't care what it takes to get it done. I just want Major League Baseball back. I can't follow college baseball baseball. There's nothing at Syracuse. I think I think I don't I, like Vanderbilt. I, th I think at the end of the day that's what's gonna happen to people, you know. Sadly, if baseball does not start on time, which spring training is already slated to be behind, you know, it players won't report till at least March 5th, that's if they're able to get a deal done by that time, it's really going to not be good again. And baseball baseball has spent the past how many years trying to, past a couple of decades at this point, trying to build back an audience. It, it's so deeply lost 25, 27, 28 years ago in that lockout, you know, and of course... Eventually, I mean, you could say that lockout literally cost the city of Montreal a baseball team. You know, yeah, that team was all but destined to win the World Series. Doesn't players or fans don't show up for that team again? They end up moving to Washington. You know, you can argue that these things that happen really tear apart fan bases 
tear apart the relations that fans have with their fan bases and their teams. And I think it's it's clearly what has gone on in the past, and it's clearly what's going to happen now. And yes, there are people, obviously there's going to be fan bases that still show up. I know the Phillies fans will still be out there. Red Sox fans will still be out there. Dodgers, Yankees, teams like that. And how about the guys who are the, the franchises who are just teetering on the edge, you know, that are non-historic maybe. Like a team like the Orioles is a historic or a historic franchise. They'll probably be able to get through it, you know. Tampa Bay Rays, though. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays, a good franchise nonetheless, but a franchise with a, a dwindling, dwindling fan base, despite the fact that they do rate well decently on TV, but they can't get anybody in the stands. They've been fighting over trying to get a new stadium for the past how many years now, and they even threatened to move to Montreal for half the season over it, you know? So these are the kinds of things that could accelerate at the end of this thing, and I don't think too many people are, are paying attention to that. It's a bad spot at the moment. Hopefully, come the end of March, we'll have an opening day set. I don't think that'll happen. But, you know, what will happen is that we will meet our set end time for this episode of Q-Sism. So thanks for listening to us rant and argue. We're finally back. And it's really kind of a, a welcome change to be back here in, in the studio. So, I'm Jesse. Jesse.